I'm your host, Anita Grantham. Welcome to the third episode of HR Unplugged. Today, we'll be discussing the impact of compensation on retention, especially as many businesses prepare for a recession. Thank you for joining us. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. We are excited that you're here. Thank you so much for coming um, for our third episode. The purpose of Unplugged is really, we want you to unplug from your role with your your hat on and professional mask of the HR professional that you have to be and setting the example for everyone and ever. And we want you to feel comfortable coming and bringing us your questions to this community that we're building. So we want you to be part of this conversation. And so we bring you HR Unplugged. Thank you for, for being here. And our topic today, so all things compensation and how it directly impacts retention. And we will discuss the kind of looming recession and really think through some hard questions around budgets and compensation. And we will talk about compensation at a baseline um, in like a healthy economy. And so how to assess, you know, in normal circumstances, because hopefully, you know, we'll be back to that at some point. And we want to make sure that the general concepts are, are all there. And uh, I am Takara, by the way, and I am the facilitator for these conversations. Anita is our resident expert, and she will be sharing her wisdom and advice. She is the, the gold mine, <laughs> but actually, well, you're all the gold mine too, to be fair, because we're doing this together. But um, Anita just has an amazing experience and take and passion about this. So I've been with Bamboo HR a little over a year now, and I just love it. Um, I work in marketing, but I'm really passionate about creating people-first cultures in the workplace. Uh, I think that is such a critical part of our quality of life and community. Um, so that's me. And Anita, will you please introduce yourself to our guests? Hi, everybody. Thanks to Kara. I'm so excited to be here with all of you, people from Canada, India, all over the U.S. We're grateful that you're spending some time today with us. Like Takara said, my name is Anita Grantham. I love creating great places to work, big and small. So we will address geography, we'll address size of organization, we'll give applicable things you can take back to the industry that you're working in, and we're excited to spend time together today. Awesome. Thank you, Anita. Our first poll question, we want to know, um, what is going on for you? Are, is your company reacting to the economic uncertainty currently and how, how we're dealing with that? We want to know first, just are you reacting to that? Is that on the top of your mind? Is that what's happening in your organization? We have, let's see, we've got 47% that either strongly agree or agree. And then we have uh, about 40% okay. that says neither agree nor disagree. And then we have a, a minority of 15% that disagree or strongly disagree. So, so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're about half agree and half neutral. neutral. Yeah. That's, that's our, our, where we've landed so far. Okay. Yeah, this is a great question. And I, we just kind of wanted to get a sense because since we are an unplugged uh, a segment here. We want to make sure that we're not deaf to what's happening out there for everyone. And so I'm also curious if you can put in the chat for those of you in the neutral zone, 
do you feel like the conversations are happening and you're not at the table for them or the business is just not affected by what's happening out there? So um, I'd love to see maybe some responses in chat just so that we're, uh, we're waiting to see what's happening. Uh, yes, I think I'm not at the table. Interesting. Lucky for those in medical research, business as usual in tech. Ha, yes, deaf ears at the table doing well financially despite the economy. Great. So this is, you know, um, this is really great because I, when we put up this question, you know, I was thinking there's probably two ways to think about it. One is, can we prepare you in this to be a part of the conversation, right? A lot of HR peers I talk to are frustrated because they say, hey, I am not at the table. And I just want to share that this is a time, this is like the Super Bowl of times to get you at the table. So as part of the outcome today, I want to give you some tools to get at the table. And the other piece is what do you bring? How do you prepare yourself to come to the table and think about these, these topics in a really thoughtful way so that you'll never be absent from the table again? Yeah, I, I think uh, we already know that the HR professionals that uh, we interact with all the time with what we do here at Bamboo HR are <clears throat> struggling to really participate as business partners and I think that's something that we want to, we, we want to help you figure out how to approach your organization with the, the tools and answers they, they need, even if they don't know. So like you're the hero they does, that they don't know they need, um, if they're not including you. And I can only imagine that, you know, if you, if, if you can bring to the table something that is going to help in this kind of environment this is the time to define that you are going to be an invaluable partner in managing the culture and needs of the business going forward. Yeah, it's it's such a great time to get in on these conversations. So what are some things that you can do? As I look through the chat, you know, some of you say you're not at the table or you don't feel like the business is paying attention to it. And so there's a few things in your role that you want to do no matter what. Um, first, address why the company you're currently at is the place for your people to stay. So if your business isn't addressing it right now, but you can't avoid it on LinkedIn or in social media or on the news, everybody's talking about it. So you want to build certainty inside your organization. There's so much uncertainty in the world. This is an awesome time for you to say, hey, we aren't affected by these changes because we're in med tech or because I'm trying to think of other industries that wouldn't be affected. Pick the industry that isn't affected and say, these are the reasons why you are safe here. If you feel confident about that. And, um, you know, these are the things that we continue to see happening in our business that are driving success for our organization. And so like use that as an opportunity to get to the table, because if you say you want to put out a comms like that and the people having the conversation behind closed doors and they are not including you, you'll know right away whether they feel that way or not, because they'll be like, don't put out that comms. And then you'll say, okay, great. You're not fully confident that we're going to be insulated from this over time. Let's talk about the things that you're most concerned about. Is it in our product? Is it in our level of service? Um, is our revenue still growing? Are we seeing a decline in a certain group of customers? So there you can really ask some questions around what's causing fear around this. 
And then from that place, you can come and say, hey, let's look at all the things that we could do to kind of um, provide stability into the business. I, I by, by and large, I'm not a fan of saying, okay, we're doing pay cuts across the board, or we're going to stop hiring across the board. What I'd encourage you to do, um, and this is why we're so excited about this topic of compensation today, because it seems to always land there. And there's so many other things that you could consider besides compensation when going into this. And one thing I want you to consider is how do you retain and incentivize your top performers to keep performing at this time? Like, what are you going to do to make sure that they are still, they're still there? Because often I know this analogy is, is, um, I don't know, I don't know. This is the analogy. You got to take care of the living. If you're going to go through layoffs, we oftentimes focus on all the people that we're laying off and we don't support the people that are still staying in the business. And I want equal focus on both the people that are staying. Thanks, Manny. The people that are staying and the people that are going in equal excellence around both those work tracks. So that's another strategic item that you could bring to the table. You could say, hey, we could, should we shift to more funds to professional development? We're going to touch on that. Takar and I are going to talk, touch on that. First, you have to kind of get clear on what the direction is. Are you going to, of course, are you going to slow roll hiring a bit? You don't have to stop hiring, but you could say, hey, we're going to make sure that we're really specific about roles that we're bringing in. You might say, hey, we're going to push on our market and merit program right now. Like we're not going to make any increases to compensation. That's one way you could do it. A lot of us are getting ready to go through open enrollment in the next six months. Maybe you were thinking about adding to your benefits. Maybe right now you keep it status quo. Maybe right now you go out to your top performers and you say, what would mean most to you? What would get you to stay here and be with us through this time that might just be challenging for all of us? And just, you know, keep getting their voices in. To Carl, you were going to. Oh, I just, I love that. I think that's um, really important is if you're not sure what you need to focus on, ask. Yeah. Right. Ask, ask your customers, <clears throat> which are your, your employees. So yeah, check in with them, see what they say, give them a chance to have a voice in it. I love your take on that, Anita. I know these are really hard times and there are, you know, really extreme approaches like complete hiring freezes, complete salary freezes. Um, what, Anita, when you think about business decisions where you need to make budget cuts, how do you, how do you even approach that? I know you just gave a couple of like good examples of kind of more moderate maybe actions, but what is your process to deciding what's going to be the right thing to manage that? Yeah. The, the way you decide how you go about an economic downturn is understanding how your business is going to survive right? How is our business going to survive? So right now, if you read anything, and this is something to get to the table, you want to understand what's happening from all of the, you know, what are the banks saying? What are the economic forecasts saying? Basically, everybody's saying you've got to have enough cash. I would say this personally, as well as professionally, have enough cash in your bank account for the next two years. So your business needs to be funded for the next two years. If you're not, what are you going to do to continue to stabilize and grow? Or maybe you don't want to grow. Maybe you just stay constant. 
that's okay. Maybe you're not growing top line, but you're not decreasing your revenue and shrinking as a business. So what is the strategy? What do you think is possible? So one, does your business have cash in the bank to survive 24 months? Two, are you committed to a growth strategy or a stabilization strategy? And then three, what are the people in HR programs that help you get there? There's a number of ways to look at costs, and I don't like them being holistically in the people bucket. I want to look across. If you're a business that's still traveling, are you looking at teeny expenses? That can get out of hand really quick. Can you look at overall headcount expense? Can you look at overall um, you know, events? If you're an event business, are you doing live events or things? Where are your biggest expense buckets? And go through and get all of those expense buckets together and then say, which are the expenses that we must maintain for our business strategy? And then prioritize the rest of them. Again, keeping in mind your top performers. And then from that place, you can go and say, all right, we might halt compensation changes. We might slow hiring. We might change our open enrollment strategy. But you have to go to the big buckets. And you also, you yourself has to be in a really logical place, not emotional, right? Just a very logical place to look at it very objectively. So so yes, rent expense is a big one. If you're still you know, paying large rent expense, then that's a big one too. When are your leases coming up? Do you switch to a remote strategy versus hybrid? Immediate cost savings there if you have you know, lease expense coming up. So those, those would kind of be the tips there that I'd have everybody look at, but focus on the business needs first. And those questions will get you to the table, will get you to the conversation. That's, I think that's brilliant. Okay. I do wonder though, how many of these HR professionals um, get access to that information? Are, are you able to know if, if there's 24 months of cash in the bank? I mean, you, I know you could, you know, you could say, hey, we should have this, or I recommend this in some way. Um, but do you even get to know that kind of thing? That's such a great question. Do I get to know if there's cash in the bank? The way you can get to that question is by saying, hey, I'm looking at our hires and the most critical hires that the business needs. How much available is there left for expense on hiring? How much available is there left on expenses for events and travel and entertainment or facilities? So think about, think about how you can ask the question to generate the answer versus just saying, is there 24 months of cash in the bank? Okay, cool. I think that I don't know about everyone else, but I can imagine that that like specific example is really helpful. And as far as like compensation conversations too, that you're having um, with either your talent acquisition partners or um, high, new hires or existing employees, how does the conversation around compensation change during these uncertain times? It's a great question about how we need to evolve our compensation conversations. So one is I would encourage you to get on a cycle where compensation compens compensation conversations, that needs to be like a hashtag, happens at like once or twice a year, depending on the size of your organization. If you're doing them on the anniversary date, you never get out of this conversation. You're having them every day maybe, or you know, a couple of times a week or a couple of times a month, and you can't really be succinct in your message. So one, I would align with the other leaders 
on what you want to say around compensation. Are you going to run increases in compensation programs between now and the end of the year? Is your business paying out bonuses? Are you still tracking to pay out bonus for 2022 at the start of 2023? Are there any changes coming to that? So those are the, uh, some of the conversations I'd love to have at the leadership level. And then I'd love to go back to team members and leaders and clearly articulate what they can count on. Because one of you had posted in the, in the comments, our issue is, having, is getting quality employees into the company and keeping them. People leave when they don't know what they can count on. So if you're not able to say, hey, we're, we're going to halt salary increases and you need to say that and you need to be prepared for what comes in that. You know, I've been in situations like that where we halted salary increases and we suffered major attrition from it, but people knew what they could count on, right? If you're going to say, hey, we're not going to halt salary increases, everybody's going to be eligible for an increase around inflation in November, make good that they like deliver on that and make sure you deliver on that with excellence. If you go back and forth and people don't know, then they're definitely going to jump ship. So just be very accurate in your communication and it will save you a lot of heartache. Yeah, that is, uh, registers to me as like, you know, giving them the opportunity to have an informed decision. So, yes. and I think that's a mutual respect thing that, that is important to building the, the PR around the HR department, right? And your relationship with the employees of the organization is, are you, you know, are you presenting them the information they need to be making informed decisions for their needs and their families? Yeah. And it's hard right now because inflation is outpacing a business's ability to competitively pay. That's what I see a lot of you saying. And I hear it every single day. Um, yes. Especially when labor unit unions are, are demanding it's, it's really tough. And so you just need to be straightforward with your team. This is what we're able to pay right now. And we want you to be here and we want you to have a job. That's why the stability message is so important. We're not going to do layoffs. Like if you say that, we're not going to do major salary increases and we're not going to do layoffs. So your job is safe and we will keep you here. Like that's, that's a big valuable statement where other companies may not be able to say that. So you know, I think like you're saying, Takara, you've got to give them the information that they want so they can make the best decision. But look, as businesses, we're never going to be able to pace with inflation if we want to keep our doors open, especially for a lot of you in smaller businesses. And it's hard. And that's where I would just say, hey, your stability of a job matters more than constant pay increases that put the business at risk. And would you rather have business owners that are irresponsible with their spending or business owners that are responsible and keeps the team together? So, so just important to get clear on what matters most. I, yeah, the conversations that are about both stabilizing and growing are definitely going to be challenging. I can see, you know, when people are maybe noticing that there's new talent being brought on and maybe those, um, those people being brought on might have a different compensation than they do. And there's maybe a, um, compensation or I'm sorry, a like a freeze on, on salaries, then, <clears throat> you know, managing that, that impression seems like something that would be pretty difficult. If there's, if there's a, a way that you would recommend balancing, um, the need to hire top talent and keep for the company and also secure yourself with the talent that you have when you can't afford raises. I mean, 
What do you got, Anita? Yeah, so great. Lots of great questions in, in all of that. The first thing is that if you're bringing people on that are new, that are making more than your people that have been in seat, it's a culture killer. It's a culture and performance killer. And so I would really encourage you to back up and establish a philosophy around compensation. That's part one. So are you going to pay at market, above market, or below market? And what data source are you going to use to verify where you're at? As a small organization, it's really hard to find credible data sources. I will tell you that self-reported data is not the source you should use, like self-reported by employees. You need to use data that's reported by an organization into a system. And so there's a number of different systems like that that are available for you to kind of see where the roles are. Because as soon as you bring in somebody new, make somebody new, making more than somebody existing, you're just going to kill the performance and incentive and inspiration for that longtime performer that want that, that it's not fair. So you've got to be able to bring people in within a range of similarity. And if somebody existing is paying, being paid less, yes, Radford is, is my go-to as well, Julia. Um, it's expensive for smaller businesses. So we have to go to other sources for people that may not be able to afford Radford. There's a number of surveys um, from VCs um, or surveys that you can participate into. And by participating, you get the report back. And so that's a good way. And it takes a lot to be able to participate in these surveys. Pay factors is another good one. Definitely can help you there. But so one, stick to a pay philosophy. Benchmark the data to whether you're at, above, or below, and make sure you bring in all hires within that range. And literally on your team, you've got to have somebody that is an analyst that can run this data with excellence. This is when we all get in troubles. We're not running this data with excellence and we don't know where we are. And that way you can say, hey, we pay at the 50th. What that means is that 50% of companies pay more than us and 50% um, tar target less than us. And we're right in the middle. And this is where we're going to be competitive. So if you want to make a lot more money right now doing the same job somewhere else, I've seen this right now. People have jumped for higher, higher salaries, and now they've just been laid off. So they maybe got eight to 10 months of a higher salary, but now they're jobless in a recession. So going back to that first message of get to stability and reliability of your business through responsible pay practices that are still fair without having to pay at the 90th. I just think the 90th is unsustainable um, for a lot of companies. And I don't know that your talent is actually that much better. And then you've got to be able to put all the other pieces around it. You want to put together an employee value proposition. So what is the mission of the organization? Nonprofits can use this really well. So your mission is really strong. Your impact is really strong. For a lot of you have said you're nonprofit. So maybe you pay below market because you have higher impact. And stand on that and say firmly, hey, we play below market because we have this level of impact and maybe you get to travel working for a nonprofit. Maybe you get to have outsized impact and responsibility for your job because you get to do more. Sell that as impact. So part of the employee value proposition is the mission, the experience for the team members the people that they get to work with, the quality of humans that they're working with is a big one for a lot of us. That's the my favorite one. Just right? my hand right here. I, I love the people that I work with and that 
that really makes me uninterested in, in propositions from people I don't know. I'm with you. I, I've, I've, I've been part of both propositions, right? With the team that I didn't know and a team I didn't know. And I will take the team I do know, especially in a post-COVID world where we don't get to see each other as much. I think relationship, uh, relationship premiums are, are prime right now. People want to go where they know they're working with good people. So don't discount that. And then you have pay, benefits, time off, perks, food, all the things right? But all those things should be tied to your mission, right? There should be a line. Don't do them because tech company A, B, or C does them. Do them because they make a difference for your mission, for the type of people that you want to attract. When you do that, you're going to win on all fronts. Um, And look, you're not going to make everybody happy. You're not going to win every hire. You just want to win the hire that's committed to your mission and committed to the organization and wants to be there working and, and working with you, right? We've talked about this in every segment. I think I've said this on every episode, but life is just too short to do it. Do do this work with people that you don't love. So find your tribe and get in with your tribe. And the tribe colors are more obvious than ever before. You can check out on Glassdoor and on LinkedIn, what people in that tribe believe in and love and care about and go to that tribe that fires you up to be a part of that group every day. I love that. Yes. And, and we're touched, we touched on this here and it's in the chat a little bit as well, but the, the total compensation, right. Um, paint that picture really well and not only sell the brand and man and the culture, um, really as your brand, but, um, the, make sure you're, you are telling a complete story about what is the value of the other components of their benefits and, um, I think that makes a big difference and it definitely does on my, in my experience, getting my complete compensation report is something that, um, you know, that's what I tell, I tell my family about, I'm like, Hey, I, this is the amount that I get in value. And that makes a big difference, um, to what anyone would maybe offer for another company, but to switch gears, uh, slightly, let's talk about overall compensation as like a baseline Health and health check. When are compensation discussions most important? You mentioned doing them more than once a year, of course, but with limited resources, you know, when should we focus on compensation? And when should we consider making market changes? Sorry, consider responding to the market changes that are that are happening because there's always some kind of market change. There's always going to be something. And that's why your overall philosophy on what you want to do is super important. So there's one question here of like, how do we um, help managers understand the importance of staying within the pay grade? And the biggest piece is that they understand that it's their duty for consistent pay across the team to stay in the pay grade. If they go outside the pay grade, then you're not providing a consistent experience for the team. And that's what you want to do um, through your whole system, Dakara. So you want to say, hey, this is how we're going to pay. This is our pay position. We're going to engage in all of these things that have to do with your base pay. So you get a base salary. Maybe you get a bonus. Maybe you get commissions. Maybe you get spiffs or quarterly cash increases. They're everything to do with cash. You kind of want to map that out. And then you want to say, okay, what's important to us about tying incentives to performance? Are we in a monthly business? Are we in a quarterly business? Are we in an annual business? How do we want to tie the timing of our business flow into our incentives? 
and have that discussion. You're also going to want to talk with your finance team and see how cash moves inside the business. There's good times to pay out cash and bonus, and there's not good times to pay out cash and bonus. And so you'll say like, hey, how do we how do we want to think about how we're prioritizing this? How does it work to pay out cash? What's important to our team? Maybe you've always done a holiday bonus. Maybe you've always done it after you've closed the year. If you're on a fiscal year that closes on 1231, maybe you pay it out in Q1 in some time. But again, these are all things that you work through and then you communicate it out to the teams of this is what we're going to do. And then you could say, hey, we're going to review our data twice a year. And if you're paid outside of our comp philosophy, we'll make an adjustment. And if you're not, we're going to have a conversation with you saying, based on the data, you're still paid within range. Now, if you'd like to make more money, here's your skill set. And here are the jobs we have available that you could grow into. And this is how you can make more money, right? Two different conversations. So part of it is laying the foundation. The second part is communicating when and when they don't, when they do and when they don't get a pay increase. And then the third part, which was kind of brought up is how do we talk about professional development? If you want to make more money and we're not doing pay increases as part of the system this year for your role, what are the other roles or responsibilities that you could take on to generate more money for you and your family? Maybe it's a commissioned role, maybe it's a bonus role. You know, what are the opportunities there depending on what you want to do and how you want to grow? So those are the ways that you can kind of get it all lined up together in a system. I love that you bring that up, Anita. I this That's my consideration for myself right now is to assess what do I need personally to be stable in the state of the economy? And then if it's not meeting what I what I'm able to bring in right now, I'm my conversation intentions are to say, hey, um, Anita, I'm this is what I'm faced with. This is what I'm trying to work out. And what do I need to do? How like how can I get there? Um, Because I don't want to pick up like a part time job. Right. And like deteriorate my my capacity in this role or something. Right. Maybe then me as top talent. I'm going to toot my own horn here and just say that I am. But (laughs) um, yes. (laughs) But like, you know, I might deteriorate my performance if I spread myself too thin. So um, I kind of, I wonder even if you would say to even recommend that to in these discussions, would you say something like that? Like, is that a conversation that you would open with, with employees, like something about their, what their needs are and their kind of personal philosophy on their own um, finances? A hundred percent. So like you first asked the question to Carl, when is a good time to have a conversation about compensation? And as a leader, it's before your team member says something to you about it. So one, right, you want to be first to the table on this as a leader. And if you're nervous about that, we should talk about what makes you nervous about talking about compensation. And we should use you as your own case study, right? And so as a leader, it's your job to be first to the conversation about compensation. And then Dakar, we can get into all those pieces of, you know, what are your compensation goals over time? What are your career goals over time? Because oftentimes people have compensation goals, but the career goals won't get there, right? So you kind of have to level set and say, okay, the market pays kind of here for this career goal. You can move diagonally this way, or, you know, like how do we adjust those things, but kind of a good coaching conversation 
around what's important to the team member, where they want to see themselves in 12 to 18 months, and what's what's available at the company. I mean, I've tried to recruit people from larger companies, and I've known what I've had at current company, and I've said, you probably should stay, right? Like, if those are your compensation goals, and that's what you need, I'm not going to be able to give that to you. And so you should just be honest about it, too, around what you can give and what you can't. That's amazing. I mean, what, who would have thought that the answer is be honest? <laughs> it is. It is. You know, this team member worked for a big tech organization. She was getting ready to have her second child, you know, just like all the setup for her was so different than it was than at the organization I was working at, which was just a smaller, you know, startup scrappier organization that hadn't established all of those things. And it's like, if all of this stuff's really important to you, you should stay where you are. <laughs> like, I, I can't compete with those things. Now, if you want an incredible career experience, if you want to grow more than you ever have before, if you want to be on this awesome mission, if that's important to you, then let's have a conversation. And if stability and benefits and like job security are all important to you, then you probably need to stay over at big tech. And that's cool. But like, that's just the honest conversation I think we should have more of. I think building that kind of relationship too, is you have no idea what kind of dividends that's going to pay out down the line. Well, this conversation was amazing and I felt so seen and respected and it was this mutual, you know, benefit assessment and who knows who they'll send your way. Or if later when they change their mind, when you have another need, you know, that's, I think that's a, a really great way to build those relationships too. So as far as like, you mentioned scrappy little startups, right? So when you don't have maybe a direct cash compensation and you can't, you can't compete with that, but you still need to hire top talent. What's your advice, Anita? So first, what is top talent? We all say that word, like A players, top talent. Like, what does that mean to you? So I'd love to really define, like, what is top talent for you? And like, let's get really clear. And it doesn't have to be a long list. Like, I actually love doing this. Like, I do this on whiteboards with, like, uh, with leaders. But I actually draw a stick figure. Can you see it? This stick figure. And I'm like, give me all the attributes that you would call top talent and draw them on said stick figure. And, um, you know, tell me what it actually looks like for you. And then we can go say, okay, what do we have? What do we have resident that's going to attract this human? What, what is it already here? And a lot of times we have things that we just don't recognize. And it's a conversation of going around the table. Again, this is a get at the table conversation of what do you really value about being at this organization? What do you love most about it? What would you make sure that you took to any other job you had after this career opportunity? What would you keep from this one? And you put all of those pieces together. And that's how you build your employer brand, right? That's how you build the reason why you would go win and the whole pitch that your recruiter is going to go give to these people and how you market it out there. Um, and you could say, hey, we have competitive pay and we have these awesome growth opportunities or you're going to get to interact with customers or C-level executives or whatever it is that they get to do in this job that they wouldn't get to do at some larger organization, right? Because the bigger organizations get, the more focused like you go from being wide in a small organization to being a specialist in a larger organization. So you probably want generalists. So if you like being a generalist, touching a bunch of things, working on a bunch of cool projects, then you'd want to come work with us. And so that's how you can get around. Everybody's really hung up on comp right now. And it is just one lever 
find all the other things in your toolbox. And when all your team keeps coming to you saying it's comp, it's comp, it's comp, go in and ask the five whys. Why is it? Look at the exit interview data. Look at the engagement data. Have, have focus group, group conversations because there's just so much more to it than compensation. A lot of people will tell their leaders they're leaving for compensation. And then when you dig into it, it's because their leader was a jerk or they didn't feel like they had opportunity to grow. And so let's focus on those abilities to win once you have your compensation foundation in place. Like where we mess up is we focus on all these other big things, but we don't have our compensation philosophy mapped out. We aren't transparent about what we're doing and what we're not. We don't say all that. We just layer all this noise on top. So don't layer the noise until you have this foundation of your house set up. Wow, that was more uh, more concrete and like great answer than I even expected for that question. And I think that's a, that's a big point there I want to... Um, refer to is that, you know, that's how you build your employer brand. That sentence in there, I think if anyone missed that, like everything you just said is really how you have to go about that. And, and to find what your, you know, what differentiates you as an employer and what, what is your, what is the value that you offer as a community? So when an employee comes asking for more compensation and I know I saw this question come up in the chat too, you know, what are, what resources are there to talk about total compensation plans? Um, but when, a, when an employee comes directly asking for something more, what are the best practices? How should that conversation go? Yes. So this happens often. I've never met somebody, I, I would say, including myself that ever says I'm paid enough. Takara, have you ever been that person where you're like, I'm paid enough. Don't pay me anymore. I mean, there is imposter syndrome, you know, that's real. We're, we're, we all know that. But at the end of the day, if someone's going to offer to pay you more, you're, you're not going to tell them you're not worth it, even if you're afraid that you might not be. Right, right. So like as a leader, you just have to know that everybody's going to come and ask you for more money. Like that's part of the job, right? I am, I'm a leader of people and people are going to come and ask me for more money, like especially in this day and age, right? So one, know it's going to happen. Two, have that conversation written down somewhere already, like have your talking points mapped out. One, it looks like going back to that, that compensation foundation. Hey, I've looked at you and your performance relative to your role. Right now, given where the role is and what you're doing, you are paid at market for the role. Like that's, that's the conversation, right? And, but you have to have this foundation to stand on. If you've been hiring people that are making more, or you've been doing all of these funky things to get in a players, then you're going to screw yourself in this conversation. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to stand on something of, Hey, I am confident that you are paid fairly for the role in the work that you are delivering today. Now, hopefully you have a range and there are somewhere in the middle of the range and they have upside in the range. So then how, and the next cycle of compensation, can I be eligible for an increase? What outcomes does this person need to deliver to be eligible for an increase in the next cycle? And you need to know what those are as a leader. And oftentimes as leaders, we don't know what those things are and that's on us. So let's say, hey, 
um, you know, when you talk to customers, you don't know enough about the product. You're not able to talk about all the different overlay products that we have in the conversation. If you really want to increase your base relative to your commission, you need to be better at your product depth and understanding. And the way we're going to measure that is by closing more deals with larger customers over time. And if you close 10% more deals with customers over this next quarter, I'll increase your base by five to 7%, right? That says like what you need to do in it and what I need to do in it. And everybody's aware and we know they have it in the range. They're not performing, but you're too weak and pansy to tell them. That's often what happens, right? Well, you don't want to have the conversation. And if you don't want to have the conversation, I just love, oh my gosh, her name just escaped me. What's her book? I love her book. Um, oof. Um, anyway, she talks about what happens when you don't, I was just looking for it on my bookshelf. No, it's not Brene Brown, but she may talk about it too. It's where you don't tell somebody they're not performing and then you fire them and they're like, why didn't you tell me? And so, yes, Susan Scott. Thank you, Leanne. Thank you. Radical candor. Yes. Thank you. You have to read. Thank you, Mike. You have to read the radical candor book on this, on this example, where if you're going to be a leader of people, you've got to have the courage to tell people when they're sucking wind. You have to look, no one wants to suck at their job. Just like I haven't met the overpaid person. I haven't met the person that's like, I want to suck today. I, I haven't. So so why not help them and say, hey, if you really evolved how you had these customer conversations, it'd make a big impact on your growth and opportunity here at the organization, right? If you were able to do more research about our product and do these things and be really prepared for your customer calls, I could see opportunities for you to continue to grow. Um, and maybe they're just, you know, they don't have time or they're not interested. Maybe they're not passionate about the product, but all of that will come out. Say, why, what, it, what would it take for you to get passionate about the product and really learn about it in a way that you could be more effective in implementing it with our customers? And maybe they're going to say, well, I just believe the product has so many problems that I don't want to learn about it. When I go to product and I tell them about all the challenges, they don't listen to me. And so it's really hard for me to sell something I don't believe in. Well, then that's really informative. And that's another opportunity I have to partner to go fix something. But you could also say, hey, in the spirit of wanting to grow and make more money, how do you go and have that conversation with the product org in a way that they can hear you and a way that you can partner with them? Wouldn't it bring immense value to the organization and to the customer to be able to go have that conversation? That's career growth. So sometimes we want to say, oh, you need to go take a class. You need to have professional development. I think all the professional development you need exists within your day job. If you have a right person with you to help guide you and coach you and mentor to see those opportunities. And as a leader, you have to be really, really engaged to do that. So there's, there's a few tips about how to have those conversations relative to compensation and just practice. And sometimes you will suck at having the conversation and you'll get better, but don't shy away from it. The more you shy away from it, the worse you'll get at it. Yeah. So that clearly, I think, connects very strongly to retention. And I know that that's a, a big question here. I see this one. Glory said, should employers then offer employee retention perks for tenure yeah. to maintain employee satisfaction only if your tenured team member is kicking ass? You do not want to give retention bonuses to people that are not performing. So can you celebrate tenure and milestones? Yes. And only do it when your team is performing. If they're not performing, you should push them off so you can recognize the tenured team members that are performing. 
So otherwise it just, you know, drives performance to your lowest common denominator. Solid, solid answer. Okay. Um, so how can employees be involved in the retention efforts? So maybe it's not just HR's job, right? You know, it's my, my job that my team members are going to keep working with me. And cause if they leave, it's going to be really hard on me and I love them and I don't want them to go anywhere. So, you know, is there something I can be doing? Yes. Participate in retention. Yes. Everybody can participate in retention. Happy team members drive retentive value. So when you're happy and you're contributing in your job, you're going to generate the feeling that people want to stay and work with you, right? Nobody wants to work for a giant complaint. Have you ever had a complaint sitting next to you and they just complain all the time? I, I have, and it's miserable. I don't want to do that. You know, Takara and I would sit next to each other. We'd have so much fun and we'd be laughing and we'd be talking about our work and talking about our weekends and having a good time. So when you take away all this cultural noise, you take away the reason why people want to leave. So give them, give, give them a place to, to not have the complaint by handling these things proactively and communicating them effectively. I love that. I, I definitely, I've also noticed that uh, when you have happy, happy people on your team, you can um, also sort of drive the complaints out, right? Sometimes those, uh, those players, they don't want to be around the happy people. So there's a lot of, there's some mutual benefits to that as well. Um, totally. I, yeah, I've seen it happen. Some people, you know, if they're, uh, they, they're not happy and they don't want other people to be happy and it's tough. So, okay. And then there was another question, um, that came up about having directors across different departments, um, paid on similar levels. What advice would you give around that? Is that, um, is that something you would recommend trying to, manage the the title maybe um, or management level across different departments or is that going to vary vastly because of different roles and different contributions to this the success and revenue of the company so it's a com it's a complex question um so a few things if you're a larger organization you're using radford or pay factors as a data source there's a leveling architecture that goes with that i've always believed that you level the role and then people can call themselves whatever title they want as long as it's not CEO. Um, so, but then there is a lot of ego and pride associated with the title. And so you wanna make sure you apply that thoughtfully too. So you can't just always get away with the level it back, like with the level it story. So you do wanna be consistent that if you have directors, they are performing in a similar level right? They are, they're really strong in their cultural demonstration of how they lead as directors. And they're probably in a similar range for how they're paid across. Otherwise then it's like, why is this person a director and this person isn't? So I do think there's important consistency uh, pieces to that. Yeah, that's an important nuance there. That clarification, I think um, is hopefully helpful to the individual who asked that. Um, now, with just the time here, I want to get to kind of our key takeaways and just um, overview of everything that we kind of talked about today. What have we got here um, as like our actionable steps? What can our guests leave and go work on? Yeah. Okay. So out of this, no matter who you are in nonprofit, for-profit, manufacturing, uh, knowledge worker, whatever, whatever you're working on, You've got to like look at your floor of compensation and understand how well your compensation programs are articulated to meet the vision and strategy of the business. 
that's what gets you in the room where it happens. So really understand how it's built, what's your pay philosophy, what you're doing and what you're not, and communicate it. You know, make sure that you think about remote or hybrid relative to, to these. Make sure you're not promoting only the people that are in office and the people that are remote, right? Look at those pieces. Have transparent conversations, not about compensation itself, but the process for which compensation is decided on, right? There's certain states that are forcing the first, but let's get focused on what we do and we don't do and how we do it. And then how we leverage career growth and other things after the compensation foundation is built. And just know that it's just one factor in the employee experience. You want to look at all things employee experience, not just compensation for how you manage expense and manage retention. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you being here and being part of this community. Um, we're really excited about the conversations that we're here to have. Thanks for joining us for HR Unplugged. This series is brought to you by Bambu HR. Visit us at bambooHR.com slash HR unplugged for video versions of the podcast, additional resources, and to learn more about how Bambu HR sets people free to do great work.